1: Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I just wanted to encourage you all to watch some of my IG Live videos on Instagram. On Instagram, my accounts are at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. But in case I haven't told you, which it occurred to me that maybe I haven't, On Instagram, every day at 11 o'clock Eastern Time, I interview authors live from my at Zibby Owens account. And to watch it, you just have to open up Instagram. And if you're following me when I'm live, it'll show up on the upper left of your screen in the story section, and it'll say live, and there'll be a little red circle. So every day, Monday to Friday, I do an IG Live show. Check it out. I do one to four authors a week. Sometimes the shows become these podcasts. And I also do one on Sundays at 2 with my husband, Kyle. um, And we talk about step-parenting and life and all the rest. So if you haven't watched an IG Live, please do. And also, I have a virtual book club that I hope you know about. This is all on my website, by the way, zibbyowens.com. But check out my virtual book club, which is through a site called bookclubs, with a Z, -Z B-O-O-K-C-L-U-B-Z.com. And no, I didn't make that up after my name, but actually it just worked out perfectly. So go to bookclubs.com, and I'm actually the featured book club on their homepage. So you can just click and you're invited to sign up. Um, I have amazing guests every week, and that meets Tuesdays at 2 p.m., uh, Eastern Time via Zoom. So please don't miss out on all these other offerings for all of you guys who are loyal listeners to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And always feel free to check out my website at zibbyowens.com to find out what I'm up to and what else you can do. Oh, and also sign up for my newsletter. On In my newsletter every week, I give updates on the latest, the book recommendations, all my podcasts, all my IG lives, my book club, and any other fun information, um, plus usually some list or article or something that I think would be helpful. So um, also sign up for my mailing list if you get a chance. Okay, that's enough for me. Now go listen to this episode. Today's episode has been sponsored by Stylist. I'd love to tell you more about Stylist because it's the newest and easiest way to shop via text. And to be honest, at first I was a little scared to try it. But once I did it, it's become like the most amazing thing ever. You literally take a picture of something and just text it. So I did it with a light bulb from the dining room that I have no idea what it was. And I took a picture of it and they figured it out. They searched it, they sent me the link to it, and then they sent me the whole Item um, All via text. So it's really fantastic. Membership is only $9.99 a month, $9.99. The first month is free. You can cancel at any time. When you sign up with my referral code, Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, you get one free book. So to sign up, just text Zibby to, these are numbers you're going to text, so get ready, 926-848. And text Zibby with a capital Z. Um, and Or you can sign up on their website, stylust, S-T-Y-L-U-S-T dot com. And your first book can be free up to $50, which is so great. So go get yourself a free book and try out Stylist. My friend from business school, um, Melissa bridgeford is the one who founded this company and I'm so thrilled to support her and it's so nice that she's giving away $50 worth of a book for everybody. So um, I hope you love it and I hope it saves you time because it's ended up sending me so much time now that I'm just clicking pictures of random snacks and then they show up at my door because they've helped me order it. So please try out Stylist. Again, it's text to number 926-848 and text Zibby capital Z, or go to Stylist.com and try it out and let me know what you think. I loved my conversation with Lily King, which I did via Instagram Live on my TV channel at Zibby Owens, and I did this in conjunction with the Montclair Literary Festival. Lily was supposed to be a speaker there, I was supposed to participate, and it got canceled per everything these days. Lily King's book, Writers and Lovers, was so good, I could not put it down. It kept me up late two nights in a row, which is very rare for me. Lily is the author of five award-winning novels. Her most recent is Writers and Lovers, which I just mentioned. Her 2014 novel, Euphoria, won the Kirkus Award, the New England Book Award, the Maine Fiction Award, and was a finalist for the National Book Critics Award, and more, like top 10 books in New York Times. I can't even keep reading, it's so many things. And then her latest book, Writers and Lovers, has been the Read with Jenna book pick, a New York Times bestseller, and on everybody's list of what book you need to be reading. It was also a Bellatrix book club pick and mine. <laughs> Listen to our episode. I had the best time talking to her and I'm sure you will love listening to her.
2: Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you?
1: I am like, I am so in love with oh your book. God. I like read every word. I hung on every word. I loved it. It kept kept me up two nights in a row. It was so good. So I just oh. have to put that out there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Oh,
1: it's my pleasure. I'm sorry that the Montclair Literary Festival was canceled along with everything else, but along hopefully you'll be able to make an appearance when it resumes.
2: <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Oh, good, good.
1: So I mistakenly probably feel like I know you because I'm I'm thinking that you're putting some of yourself into the character in your book, which you may or may not be doing. <laughs> so I need to know, like, what what is you and what is not. But first, for people listening,
2: <laughs> would you mind letting everybody know what your book is about and what inspired you to write it? Yes. The book is about 31-year-old Casey, who has, it is 1997, and she's arrived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and she works at a, she's gotten a job at a restaurant, she's gotten a a terrible place to live, a little room at the side of a garage, and she's $70,000 in debt. She's trying to write her first novel. She's just had her heart badly broken, and a few months earlier, her mother died. So she's a bit of a mess. And she's trying to, you know, at age 31, trying to figure out how to find the rest of her life, you know, how to put a life together that looks like a grown up life. But that that doesn't mean that she has to lose her dream of becoming a writer.
1: That's, and so this is not your first book. Euphoria already came out and what you've already had. Every book has had critical acclaim and everything. How do you yeah, this, this is comments? my fifth. Is yeah, that your right? Fifth?
2: My fifth. Yeah, I think so.
1: I was going to say fifth, but I am always afraid of being wrong. So, you know, (laughs) better safe than sorry.
2: If you can't remember, then I don't feel as bad. But anyway, I ran around for like the first couple of months when I was doing pre pub stuff saying it was my sixth book. And then I realized, (laughs) no, it was my fifth. (laughs) They seem long. (laughs) They take a long time to write. (laughs) How long did this book take to write? And how, how did it compare to the process for your other books? You know, I'm somewhere between four and six years between books. I blame it on my children. But the fact is my first one took, you know, nine years probably from start to finish to to pub date. And this one, this one actually was fast to write. It's just that I wrote, I started researching and then writing two other books before I started this one. So that's why this one took six years between books because two of them were a failure. Yeah. Wait, I
1: loved in this book how when you were dropping, not you. When your character was dropping the manuscript off at the post office, and you were trying to tell, she was trying to tell the postal worker, you know, I've worked for six years on this, and she said, "I hope your next six years are a little more exciting."
2: <laughs> that was I swear, hilarious. You know, that I, I is. I feel like that's kind of like a a feeling that I that I have gotten in my life, you know, along with all the other feelings in the book. You know, like a lot of everybody has a different response to somebody who's writing their first novel. You know, there are so many different ways you can see it, you know? And a lot of them are not, they don't feel when you're doing it yourself, they don't feel very positive.
1: (laughs) Right. And when you said to the gynecologist, when he said, so you're gonna write the great, not you, your character. When she said, so are you gonna write the great American novel and your character was like, oh, are you gonna cure ovarian cancer? And he was like, (laughs) touche. There were so many like just little gems in there about the pressure of just because you're an author doesn't have to be the great American novel right. I mean, any other right. job as as is pointed out in this book doesn't come with so much baggage, right
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, it's so true, and that line, the great American novel, is really something you know that that you hear a lot you know when you say you're a writer, and you know it's definitely like. It's definitely a way for people to say, without actually saying it, who the hell do you think you are? What do you think you're going to do? What, like, why would you waste your time on that? You know, obviously, you're not Fitzgerald. You're not Hemingway. You know, like, yeah, that's what, that's, you, know you can't help but, but hear that. I just remember the sort of cynicism that came back at me a little, a, a, a good bit, you know, as a young woman in the 90s trying to write a novel. Did anyone? I mean, really I, had, I, I the, was more cynical oh. than anyone. Nobody could ever tell me anything that you know. I was the most cynical of all. I never thought that I would actually publish the novel I was writing, so I shared it. You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did anyone actually say to you the way that Adam in the book did? You know, well, I can't believe you even have anything to say. Like, what makes yeah. you think? You, what makes you
2: think that someone said yeah. that to you? Yep. Yeah. Exact. Like I think verbatim, and I never forgot it
1: don't you want to just take your book and like slam it in their face right now? (laughs) (laughs)
2: No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We wouldn't do that. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. I'm just saying like, you know, you worked so hard and yeah, no, the reason, I mean, the reason I wouldn't is just because that person I think was a very frustrated writer and had big, you know, would have liked to have written a novel, but had that critical voice in his head you know that he was delivering to me that day you know saying you're not good enough you don't have anything to say sort of thing and I didn't really understand that then but I definitely understand that now yeah
1: I mean it's like most insults they come from the other person's place of insecurity it's not really usually about you exactly it doesn't it doesn't make it feel any better at the time no
2: it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't at all especially when you feel like crap yourself you know
1: (laughs) So how did you push past all of that negativity? Like when you were starting out, like, let's go back, not to this, yeah. book, but yeah. all the way back when you were writing your first novel, how did you like, how did you just fortify yourself to keep going and not succumb to those negative messages?
2: I definitely succumbed, you know, but I, I just, um, I think you get to a certain point in, in a novel where you can't give up. You know, like you you have to finish no matter how you feel about it, no matter, you know, you know what you feel about your bank account or anything. It's like this is my only way to get to the other side here. And so I, I definitely remember that. And I remember, you know, years of feeling really discouraged and full, like Casey, full of anxiety and fear and you know, incredible doubt. And really, I mean, I wasn't good at anything else. I mean, I I didn't even really think I was good at writing, but it was the only thing that I'd ever gotten any positive feedback for. So like all my eggs were in this basket and, and that was it. It wasn't, it wasn't like I could do anything else. And so I just had to, I had to keep going. Wow. So what happened? Tell me the
1: story of when you published your first book, was it similar to Casey's experience in,
2: in this book? It was a little similar in that I also sent out to a ton of agents and got a ton of rejections. And then finally got an agent in New York who I really liked. And I went down to New York to meet her. And I was really worried that she was going to say, because she would already had me do a revision. And I was worried that she was going to say, do another revision, but she got out this notepad at lunch and she said, so where do you want to send it? And that was like, that was really one of the most exciting moments of my career with just seeing that little yellow notepad come out i had i mean i had no idea where to send it like i didn't know any yeah <laughs> ed- editors i knew one editor actually i knew two and one of them i mean i you know i had known one of them when i was 15 like you know on a, a island that my stepfather had a house on but i just didn't think that she would be interested in my work. And I, you know, and then I had another editor friend who I'd waited tables with in college and she had become an editor and that was it. But, but, you know, fortunately my agent had a lot of other ideas. And so, you know, we went down the whole list and then within a week or maybe even four days of her sending it out, I had my first offer, really my first interest and I I remember having lunch with my boyfriend then, who is now my husband, going out to to lunch and realizing like I had one person who was interested, and and realizing that this this actually could get published. And then there were four other edit- editors who were interested, and there was an auction, and you know it was all it was all blissful after that. So wow. it it did you know well, kind of kind of in a similar way, and and in fact. I was also working in a high school at the time. Actually, my contract was under negotiation for the next year, and the head of school was kind of holding out and not letting me know whether it was going to be renewed or not because he was, I don't know, trying to figure out a bunch of things. And we were in faculty meetings at the end of the year, and I kept having to leave to take these phone calls. And it was the only thing that got me through because I loved that job. I really wanted my contract renewed, and they were not telling me and this was the only thing that was like well you know I got something else going here so <laughs> it's okay if you don't hire me again but they did hire me again so that was good
1: okay oh, good. and you kept you kept your position even after the book deal
2: I did yeah 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 I loved there. that job but then I got pregnant <laughs> the next year I got pregnant and then it was too much to handle all three so I gave up the teaching job that I love so much There's always time. You could always go back. Yeah, exactly.
1: exactly. (laughs) Earlier in our conversation a few minutes ago, you mentioned that you blame your kids for your slow, what you call slow, which I don't think is so slow. But anyway, your output time for your books now. Tell me about how you manage sort of family and writing and when you do the writing and how you just like do your whole life, basically.
2: Yeah. All right. First of all, I do have to take that back because I feel like my, in a lot of ways, my kids have made me much more focused. And if I had a lot more time, I would fritter it away. And so they helped me early on to just take the time that I had and write faster. And, you know, and so I think I would be even a slower. Who's to say I would even have written another novel if I hadn't had not kids? I'm not sure. And And now, you know, they're 19 and 21. I would say I was an empty nester, but you know, no one, no one with kids my age is an empty nester anymore. And so I mean, I, which I love, I mean, I have to say I feel terrible for them, but I love having them home now and I'm getting much less work done. Let me tell you <laughs> much. Less. I just love seeing them at breakfast. I love seeing them at lunch. <laughs> it's oh. terrible. But you know, when they were, when they were really little, I remember when my oldest one was six months, I got my first babysitter. And I think I had her for like three hours a week. I felt so guilty about it. And then slowly I I grew, you know, to maybe three hours, three times a week sort of thing. And, and it was really those, those first years when they weren't in school, once they go to school, you're home free, you know, but when they, when they're not in school, that, that was really hard. And I, I had a lot of kind of neglect by my parents when I was a child and so I really wanted to be there for my kids and I was really really conflicted about how to be there and also write books and so you know in the margins of of many of my notebooks that I write by hand and there's all this math like there's you know how many hours are they awake during one week and how many hours do I have a babysitter you know it would be like
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Dot com slash moms don't have time.
2: 72 hours awake per week and 15 hours of babysitter. Is that okay? Like, you know, is that an okay balance? And I'd have to kind of give myself permission every week to like go ahead and you know try to keep writing. So it was tough. And and let wow. me just tell you here I am complaining about that. And I did not have a job outside the house. Like I was so lucky that I was only writing novels, you know. And I don't know. I mean, I was teaching a little bit, but like here and there, small gigs, nothing, nothing huge. So I really can't complain. I'm not even somebody who can talk about that kind of thing. I think that a lot of new
1: parents think that being a good parent is the amount of time they're spending with kids. If you have the luxury of doing that or if you can you know, work from home or whatever else. And then I think as everybody gets older, you realize that's completely not true. <laughs> not now. But the pressure that new parents, I think, put on themselves is really astounding. Like, as I if there's some correlation between good parenting and the, the minutes you spend on the floor with them
2: or something. Yeah. Really I know, astounding. it's so true. It's so true. And I really, I think a lot of that was just, you know, weird. Thoughts that I had about my own childhood and, you know, you're always trying to correct for your own childhood and you overcorrect in crazy ways, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that my kids are still paying for.
1: (laughs) Are you comfortable talking more about your childhood and what type of neglect or what the. Oh, sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think so. I was I'm the third of three kids and my brother and sister are much older than me, eight years and six years older than me. And my mother was getting ready to leave my father. You know, I think they were, I know that they had sort of separated within the house, but I think that there was a big physical attraction between them, even though they really, really didn't like each other. And I arrived. (laughs) Right when my mother wanted to leave my father, she got pregnant with me and she stayed for another 11 years. And I think she was extremely unhappy. And I think she... She found, first she found the church in our town, and she spent a lot of time volunteering, and then she found politics. And because the minister at the church was extremely liberal and political, and then she was gone. Like, she just fell in love with, you know, left-wing politics and volunteered all the time. And she was basically learning how to she had, she didn't even have a college degree she had married my mother when my father when she was 19 and she was just really trying to get work experience and so she just wasn't home a lot and I had a babysitter and my father was a very 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 bad alcoholic by that time so he was you know kind of checked out even when he wasn't drunk you know he was just in that alcoholic phase of his life um, where he's sort of emotionally unreachable and volatile Uh, so it was, it wasn't a great combination, but my mother did finally leave. And then I felt like I kind of got her back. You know, we, we got an apartment together and then I had these years with her that were really, really special and she was extremely happy and it was really great for me to see. And what, what about your older brother and sister during that time? What kind of role did they play with you? You know, they had gone to boarding school. So when I was in kindergarten and first grade, they were gone, you know, by the time, yeah, by the time. I guess my brother was there for first grade. And then so by second grade, they were out of the house and they knew it was an unhappy household. And it was the late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, they were they were real hippies and they were gone. You know, they had sort of flipped the bird to the older generation. And, you know, I just didn't see them a whole lot. And how about now are you in touch with them or Yeah yeah or? yeah yeah we became we became very close when
1: I became an adult yeah. I think I'm asking out of like selfishness because I have kids who have that same age gap with younger ones and then it's like a senior gap. So now I'm like, oh, will yes. they uh, ever, you know, be friends when they're older and all that? So anyway, yeah, um, yes, I'm yes. always interested in those dynamics between siblings and everything. Well, having grown up in that type of environment, did you turn to writing early? Is that like a coping mechanism you developed or was that, did that come later? Like, how did you cope or did you read a lot or, or neither?
2: Yeah, I read a lot. And I do think it was a coping mechanism. Although, you know, of course, it didn't feel like it at the time. I just, I just loved, I just, I just did love writing. We didn't have, you know, I don't know if it was the same for you, but we didn't have in grammar school, creative writing assignments or anything like that. So I never ever, I only did book reports, you know, I read books, I wrote book reports, you know, we didn't ever do anything creative ever not a poem, not a, and so then when I got to high school, I had a teacher who, who had us write a short story and that was it. You know, he actually handed the short story back to me. He's like, I teach a creative writing class to juniors and seniors. You should take that, you know, when you, when you're a junior. And so I just waited for that and, and that, you know, and then we had to, those classes, we had to, write a three and a half page short story every single Monday morning have it on his desk, and wow. so that was really, really good training really early on for me, you know, but yeah, I think it was I think it was a coping mechanism, and I did end up pouring a lot of kind of my teenage angst into my stories and stuff in writers and lovers, you talk about well when when Casey is trying to
1: get through some tough scenes, she talks about how she has to just go to that place that you almost can't bear to think about and then put that on the page. Do you feel like you went through that same exercise? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, it's never really hard, I think, to want to put those hard things on the page. You know, it's always been sort of an instinct for me and to not to not hold back. And I think I think a, a lot of people have things that they want to write about but they're too scared because they don't want to hurt people or they don't I don't know. They they yeah, they they just, they don't, they all they can think about is how other people are going to read it, you know, for whatever reasons. And I don't really have that. <laughs> I'm not really trying to protect other people. I'm not trying to protect myself. Like, I, for me, the most important thing is like getting it down and being as crystal clear as I can about it.
1: Yeah. You also wrote so beautifully about loss in this book and how it feels, especially the loss of a parent in the early days and wanting to pick up the phone and call them and forgetting and then remembering and just that whole whirlwind of emotion that accompanies grief. Can you talk a little about that and where that came from?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, I basically, I think wrote this book. So I had a place to put my feelings about my mom when she died. She died four years ago. And Uh, Just completely, like Casey's mother, completely out of the blue on vacation. My mother was in the South Pacific. She left in full health. And, you know, I got a call and then two a a call saying she was going to a clinic that she had. She was fine. But her, you know, her blood pressure was low, which is strange. And then two hours later, she had died. And uh, I don't even know what happened. So anyway, the loss of her, because we were so close. And then the shock of, you know, and the not saying goodbye and her being so far away, all of that, I was writing something else at the time. And I just, I had to stop. And I stopped for a really long time, like probably eight months or something. And then when I started writing again, this book just came out of me. And I, and, and, you know, that, that first paragraph, you know, like I knew that her mother had died, you know, in this book and, and it was just something I I had to find a place to put these feelings, and I'd been writing in my journal, but it wasn't enough. You know, I needed a, I needed a scene and dialogue and the whole thing to kind of I don't know get those get those 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 deeper sort of sensations and emotions out in, into some form and probably out of me and onto the page. You know. So when you do this, and it's almost like therapeutic writing, really. Like when you're doing it
1: are you able to take your own experience and like think more analytically and structurally about the story or are you sitting there like sobbing as you're writing?
2: Oh no, I'm totally like, you know, mercenary dry eyed, just like seeing how it will work in the scene. It's very funny how that is. And then, and then, you know, there might be a moment, like just a a moment or a line that really catches me. Like I, you know, and I switch over to the grieving daughter instead of the writer but most of the time, I'm, I'm pretty cold, you know, in that way. Like, I'm just trying to figure out about, you know, how, how to make it work within these parameters. And I'm just, I'm just pulling, you know, like, I'm just pulling what I need from my life. But it's, very, it's a very thin thread, you know, it, that I'm adding to a very fictional tapestry, you know, that I just pull a little something from my life that, that seems like the right thread to pull. You know, but then when you pull the thread and you write it and then and then I can feel kind of moved. You know, if I if I and only if I get it right, if I get it wrong, I'm not moved at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I would argue that you moved a lot of people with this book. I mean. It was emotional and thought-provoking. I just could not put this book down. It was like I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Just another question about process, just to like round it out. When you're doing this mercenary writing and everything, (laughs) how do you like? What is your process like, and where do you like to write? Like, do you write in this environment behind you? I know where Instagram Live is. This where you write? Yeah, this is where my
2: study right now. I'm at the thing is on my desk, leaning against my computer. And I I actually have my notebook right here, one of my notebooks from Writers and Lovers. So I always write by hand. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I usually take breaks and put it onto the computer. And that's a little bit of a revision process for me. But sometimes I can write a whole notebook without stopping to put it on the computer. But I really, I like this process because, you know, that first draft on the page, like, you know, with pencil in the notebook, Like, I I do not, I truly try not to bring the critic in, you know. I try to just let my creative self go and not be too judgy, as my children would say. And I know that, you know, I have that revision process of getting it onto the computer. And so I can pick and choose. But I I like that because I have trouble with the critic being too harsh. And so if I'm, you know... If I just tell myself, well, this is where you can put anything, anything, anything. And later you can figure out what's good and what's bad. Because I often find that when you're writing, you don't know what's good and what's bad. You know, your your critic is skewed. It's off. And you just need that that creative self to kind of take over and just blurt it all out. And then you can shape it later. So that's what I like about this process. But anyway, th- yeah, we're in uh, this space. I like to write in the morning. I like to write with a cup of tea. I have all my little rituals. I, I have to write with like a a certain kind of thick plastic pen, which I'm very embarrassed about. It shouldn't be plastic, but oh. it's what I really like. So, and I don't use many of them for a year. <laughs> yeah, so, but I think rituals are really important. I think it's really important to write at the same time-ish, you know, and and I know that whenever I drink a cup of tea, wherever I am, I will want to write because I'm so, you know, trained, you know, like a Pavlov dog, you know, just, you know, when I drink black tea, my fiction brain just starts working, you know? Wow. (laughs) This is the secret ingredient. Many people are missing. If only they made tea, they'd be able to do it. (laughs) Well, and also about tea, I just have to make another plug for tea. And that is, I read about those like ADHD drugs, right? That the main ingredient that makes them work is the same, is is, it's the same ingredient that's in black tea. So I feel like I have like it, it laser focuses me that, that tea for some reason.
1: All this money we're wasting at
2: pharmacies. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you working on now? I am contracted for a collection of short stories and I have about maybe eight of them, possibly 10. And I have more in kind of rough form. And then there are some that I haven't written at all that I really want to write. So that's what I'm working on right now is a collection of short stories. But I have to say I have not written a word since we've been isolated, my book came out, you know, and so like, I have a lot of these kinds of things and I find it really hard to be extroverted, even though I'm in my house, in my sweats, I find it hard to be extroverted and, you know, and really introverted, the kind of introversion that it takes to write a novel. So I'm just kind of on book tour for right now. I know it's not what my editor wants to hear. I hope she's not listening, but I am going to get back to it soon. I swear.
1: (laughs) you will get there. I am not worried. Um, you know, I think this time is really hard for a lot of people to write is what I'm hearing. So
2: yeah. Yeah. And are you, do you write, you write, right? I do not like you, but yes. Yeah. I love to write. I and do. have you been writing during this time or have you found it hard? I've been writing a lot of really short things uh-huh. like, like
1: essays that are, you know, but I do have this novel that I've been working on for two years and I have all these Why? great, I have these great edits that came back from, people I really respect and admire, and I just cannot get myself to open the document. I just can't. I'm like, I just can't go there right now. So yep. it'll come. I don't know. It'll come. But, I totally get that. You know, I'm like it's that nice. even
2: without a pandemic, you know, and I get that <laughs> feedback. It just sits over there. I have this writer's group, so I get it in, in manuscript form, you know, and they're just in a big pile and they just sit there for a long time. I know. I have these notes that I wrote that are just like,
1: yeah I should just get them off my desk but they're just sitting there reminding me and like taunting me like that I should be more productive in in this front but you know you got to pick and choose so otherwise I wouldn't have time to interview amazing
2: people like you so this is really (laughs) fun for me do you have any advice for aspiring authors it's a final question I think it really is persistence you know I mean I I do think that that there is no magic apart from just doing it you know doing the work and I think it's really easy like I just have made a lot of excuses for why I'm not working right <laughs> we all do it we do it all the time but if you actually want to write something you, you have to stop with the excuses everybody has excuses everyone has a gazillion reasons why they cannot write and I just I think you have to do it anyway that's that's the real trick
1: it's true. Caroline Waxler in the comments is saying just open the document.
2: Yeah, exactly <laughs> sometimes you just have to open exactly. the notebook or open the document and I don't exactly. Know, Although I have to say, in that situation, you know, it is good to get a little breathing room between finishing a draft and going back into it. And so if you you know, if you have that a full novel and you're you're just needing to take a little break, I do think those breaks really help to have a clear eye on things, you know. I also think that like, you know, it is important to replenish when you're feeling really depleted creatively, 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 God. (laughs) Um, And I have had to do that in many books. Like I just get to a point where I can't go anymore because I feel so drained and depleted. And so then I just read and I like, am good to myself for a week. And then I go back to it the next week. So you don't have to write every day. Lily, thank
1: you so much. I'm such a big fan of yours. I am so just happy to have gotten to talk to you about your book and your life. And thank you for sharing with me and everybody. Uh uh, Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank you, Zuby, so much. This was really, really fun.
1: Oh, good. Take really good
2: care. Good luck with your
1: document. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And thank you to the Montclair Literary Festival for putting us together. Oh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. please try out Stylist. Again, it's text to number 926-848 and text Zibby capital Z or go to Stylist.com and try it out and let me know what you think. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.